0: Overdrive.
1: Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program with an infatuation about trains, planes and automobiles. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including the latest vehicle sales figures, especially for diesel, hybrid and electric vehicles. We chat to Alan Zervis about a motorbike event, especially the trend towards electric bikes. We have some motoring minutes and an extended session of quirky news with Brian Smith, including car status becomes an issue at a school. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook site, Overdrive City. So let's start the program with the news. The latest car sales figures for Australia covering the month of October 2019 show a decline of 9.1%, which is higher than the average for the entire year of 8%. This is the 19th consecutive month of declining sales in Australia's automotive market. Sales are down across all buyer types, with private sales down 5.2% compared to October 2018. Business sales are down 8.2% and government sales are down 7.3%. Diesel-engined vehicles have had bad press in regard to their pollution levels and potential recalls in some models. Excluding heavy vehicles, diesel sales are down nearly 11% for the month. Electric and hybrid vehicle sales have increased over 150%, but the absolute numbers are only small. Rally Australia has cancelled the Coffs Harbour International Rally, which included the final round of the 2019 FIA World Rally Championship as a result of serious bushfires that continue to affect much of northern New South Wales. They did so because the state is experiencing its worst ever bushfire conditions, which have resulted in the declaration of a state of emergency, a statewide total fire ban, and conditions in some regions classified as catastrophic. The safety of more than 1,000 people involved as officials, competitors and in support roles was one of the major concerns. Event organisers almost immediately launched a series of activities to raise money to help firefighters and the community. World Rally drivers autographed hundreds of unsold souvenirs, which will be donated to fire victims and emergency workers, and auctioned online. At a thank you function for hundreds of volunteer rally officials, six-time world champion Sebastian Ogier announced a $16,000 donation to care for injured wildlife. Hyundai has developed the world's first road noise active noise control system. They say it's a first ever system to dramatically reduce noise within the cabin of a vehicle, Basically, it's a noise cancelling service that Hyundai says has been developed beyond the typical system which was limited to the number and variation of noises it could affect. Their new system is able to analyse various types of noise in real time and produce inverted sound waves. For example, there are different types of road noises that the new technology can process such as resonant sounds created between tyres and wheels or rumple sounds coming up from the road. One of the interesting benefits is that to try and dampen sound through traditional methods such as insulation and dynamic dampers fails to block the buzzing infrasound completely but also adds more weight than this electronic alternative. Hyundai has also conducted the company's first platooning of trailer trucks, replicating real-world traffic conditions. Vehicle platooning uses modern safety electronics to let trucks travel close together and thus reduce air resistance and reduce fuel usage. The platooning manoeuvre begins when the driver of a following truck approaches the leading vehicle and activates platooning mode. The following truck then maintains a 167 meter distance with real-time fine-tuning based on the leading vehicle's acceleration and de-acceleration. The driver does not need to put his or her foot on the accelerator nor brakes, reducing fatigue on the road and improving safety. The mode also activates lane-keeping technology, which makes possible for the driver of the following truck to take his hands off the steering wheel. One of the big problems with shared bike or shared scooter systems is that once a device has been used, it can be left on the footpath, creating an eyesore or obstacle for pedestrians. With some residents taking the bikes and dumping them in the river, and with poor utilisation rates, a number of bike share schemes have been taken from the market. Now an American startup has a potential solution. The company Tortoise, Promises to bring semi autonomous scooters and e bikes to the market. Through partnerships with cities, Tortoise aims to determine whether a scooter can safely move autonomously at a low speed, or where a human should remotely move the unit via an attached camera, like on a highly congested city road. The goal is to safely move vehicles from a location where it may be underutilised or obstructing the road to a city-approved parking spot, a public transit hub, or even the doorstep of users. And that has been the news. Sometimes we have an opportunity to give our interns a fun experience, and a recent drive with Australian Rally champion Molly Taylor was an exhilarating day for Emily, one that she's still talking about.
2: I'm Emily Middleton, media student at Macquarie University and I was given the opportunity to ride with 2016 Australian Rally Champion Molly Taylor in the Cowan Forest in Canberra. Our first lap of the forest was crazy. The ride itself was relatively smooth to my surprise, I thought I was going to be thrown around a lot more than I was. The second time round, I became Molly's co-driver. I was prepped beforehand with an index of all the symbols written on the pace notes, yet I still managed to get lost and hypothetically crash us on more than one occasion. It was like reciting another language. Flight right up oh, here. Okay, so ride to crest 20, uh, turn three left, left car. Overall, 30. the day was an incredible experience for my first time in a rally car. Subaru was extensively welcoming and Molly herself was an inspiration for all women who want to do what they love.
1: You're listening to Overdrive. Alan Zervis from gaycarboys.com.au, part of our conglomerate of an eclectic group of people that are interested in motoring.
0: How are you, Alan? I'm well, as always, David, and you?
1: Very well. And now you had the opportunity, we did, to, to go down to a bike show. What was that? I forget its name. What was it?
0: It's the, uh, the Motorcycle Festival at Wollongong, the inaugural event, so the first one. Uh, And we took an electric Jaguar down, which was a story in itself.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about that at a later date. Now, the Motorbike Festival, they had an area in the park there with a whole pile of displays from all the big companies and others' bike owners. When I was young, we used to have car shows that had bikes there as well, and a colleague noted that you could always tell the bike area because that's where most people were limping after accidents. I think it's a much broader market now. Am I
0: right? I think so, and, and I think particularly taking scooters into account uh, as the price of fuel increased and, uh, and parking and so forth, uh, people have turned to two-wheel transport.
1: But they do love their bikes, don't they, bike owners?
0: Well, as you know, I'm a bike owner myself, and uh, it's more of a personal mode of transport than a car. Mm. So it's much more of an extension of what the person is. An expression of themselves? Yes, I think so. I think it's an expression uh, and a much more personal mode of transport too. So it's uh, more like an article of clothing.
1: Now, you mentioned that uh, some bikes, of course, are very modern and that, yet there were some on display there that call on the image of many older bikes, like the Indian and the Enfield.
0: The Royal Enfield, of course, uh, as I told you on the weekend, my, my dad used to ride those, and Indian as well. And they go right back to the earliest days of motorcycle transport. And in a way, they've although they've modernised, they still have that... Uh, almost cafe racer look about them
1: yes and they're a very big sort of touring bike aren't they they're they're not just made for zipping about they're made for uh, elegant almost sort of style of riding
0: yeah they're called cruisers or most of them are called cruisers so they're meant to be out on the highway super comfortable seats and you could just sit there and in fact some of them even have things like cruise control and uh, radios and so forth
1: Well, they have the modern ones of those too. There was some Harley-Davidson's there with a 1.8-litre four-cylinder engine. That's bigger than many cars.
0: Indeed, and uh, some of those big Harleys weigh 400 kilos, so I certainly (laughs) wouldn't want to tip that on its side.
1: You mentioned electric bikes. There are a range happening now. They're from traditional makers like Harley. Are they going to attract the same sort of customers to that that Harley's had in the past?
0: Well, we spoke to some uh, current owners and potential owners there at the stand, and a lot of them were really interested in those electric bikes because they know what we know, and that is eventually internal combustion engines will be a thing of the past. So they're there, right at the kind of dawn of electric motorcycling, and to be honest, they seem far more enthusiastic than I thought they'd be.
1: It's unexpected yet... The principle of a Harley-Davidson is to stand out and to be making a statement about who you are and what you enjoy, which really, if you look at the interesting looks of bikes, the Stavich, how would you describe that electric motorbike?
0: It's a, a gentleman in Melbourne who's currently a Ford engineer. He's got together with a couple of business partners, and his last name is Savage. so S A D I C He's bought out a, a small range of bikes. Gosh, it, 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 it's certainly impressive. Again, it's got that ca- uh, cafe racer look about it. But I'd describe it as, again, as particularly steampunk. So it's ultra-modern, cutting-edge electric technology in something that's been around for over 100 years.
1: It's very simplistic and it looks as is electric cars that they take away a lot of complexity. This has almost like a silo with vents on it of the batteries and on top of which is this almost helmet like area where they keep technology and they might ultimately develop a little bit of packing room. It it looked like something that Tron would ride or with a little bit of Stormtrooper in it.
0: Well, I think what they've done is they've tried to make it look like a traditional bike so that it doesn't scare off too many of the punters. And uh, the thing I was impressed about with that bike was the fact that it looked so relatively conventional. But I was less impressed with its range. But I dare say that will improve as uh, lithium batteries improve, or battery technology generally improves.
1: You have to pay a fair amount to get up to a 200 Kilometre range I think about $24,000 you can get a much Cheaper one well relatively Cheaper one at $13,000 With what's that 120 Kilometre range now that's One with great image there's Also ones that are really Funky almost the Fonzarelli we'll come back to the History of that name but how Would you describe their little Bikes that they're making in Redfern in Sydney
0: I thought it was Kind of cute It very much looked like something that was a a home project and I kind of liked it. I really liked the fact that a local manufacturer is having a go. Now, they told us that they have been asked to tender for for a US Army contract for 200 bikes.
1: Of course, uh, they would use them around compounds where they don't make a noise, for example.
0: That's right. Well, I mean, who knows? They might find they'll use them for other things as well. They've got a relatively short range. Compared to uh, a conventional bike, obviously, between fill-ups, you'd expect a couple of hundred kilometres. Mm. Uh, but, you know, nonetheless, I think for city commuting, this uh, this little thing that looks basically like a frame with a couple of bits of uh, flat uh, metal glued to the sides or screwed to the sides, mm. um, I think it looks There were a, a few touches here and there that I think that where they could improve quality because, David the bottom of the range one was $8,000. Yeah,
1: it's not cheap, is it?
0: I would not say that's cheap. Uh, and like with most of the other electric conveyances around the place, most of that is going to be battery. Mm. So as batteries become more, uh, more efficient and cheaper, the cost of those will come down, and I expect the cost of all electric vehicles to come down dramatically over the next uh, five or ten years.
1: I think that they may have application where if you live in a city and you can't plug your car into a powerpoint if you don't have a garage, but you may have an area, you can just ride this little glorified dragster uh, bike off uh, and plug it in, maybe even on your front porch or whatever, and uh, be able to control it much better that way. Fonzarelli, they even have an Arthur Sort of scooter to, well, not a scooter, but a little bike to go around on, a you know, motorized electric bike. Is the name Fronzarelli? You and I know what it means. Do you think it will resonate with uh, some uh, a wide range of people?
0: Well, I think anyone that's watched um, cable recently would probably make the Happy Days connection with Arthur Fronzarelli. And indeed, I, I asked the, uh, the um, stall owner, who is also the business owner, if that was where it came from and she said well it's not a coincidence that is where it came from so the Fonz is uh living on proud and and uh long in Redfern hey <laughs> that's right well of course he, he he had that uh that kind of biker cool look about him with the the slick back hair white t-shirt and uh leather jacket and uh, i think that's what they've tried to capture in the spirit of their little electric, uh, really their electric scooters rather than electric bikes.
1: There's an element, though, of, of going over into that sort of almost happy days, young romance, love in Rome, if you like the movie, of uh, you know going tutoring uh, around on a scooter. Alan, always great to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time.
0: My pleasure, David. Thanks for having me.
1: And that was Alan Zervis from GayCarBoys.com here on Overdrive. You're listening to Overdrive. Electric cars are becoming more available on the Aussie market and smaller SUV-style electric cars such as the Kona Electric may go a long way towards increasing sales even further. Rob Fraser tells us about his recent test drive.
3: Regular listeners will know of my aversion to electric cars. So, when I say I like the Hyundai Kona Electric they might be surprised. Apart from looking a little bit plasticky inside, the Highlander was fitted with a load of luxury and safety features and was very comfortable to sit in. With a real-world range of around 400 kilometres, plus a relatively quick and easy plug-in anywhere recharge, the Kona is ideally suited to city dwellers that may occasionally want a slightly extended trip away. It also has excellent regenerative charging from braking. Surprisingly quick in sport mode, the electric motor produces a near instantaneous 395 newton metres of torque, producing a smooth and relaxed drive. To my mind, there's still a long way to go to make electric cars a vehicle of choice for anyone but any city dwellers. And also at around $60,000 plus the usual costs, it isn't cheap, even though it is fully equipped. You're listening to Overdrive.
1: Well, Brian Smith, isn't it time we had some unusual stories? How are you now?
2: Good, thanks, David.
1: Yourself? Good. You've been battling, as have I, with sound conditions and Windows 10. Something <laughs> keeps going crazy. Brian, school, was that a an area for status in terms of the car your family drove?
2: Well, I can remember... Um in the playground, there was a lot of discussion about the sort of car you had, whether it was a, a, a Holden or a Ford, really. And <laughs> then we had uh, the rare child who owned a Volvo and really just fell between the camps. But, <laughs> but they are a, a status symbol. And certainly in uh, wealthier areas and wealthier schools, uh, you should be seen to be uh, you know, dropped off uh, by the
1: best looking car. Is it a problem around the world? Well
2: certainly um, in Shenzhen in China um, a uh, a little exercise that the preschool ran uh, asking kids to give photos of their family cars uh, and and they made a point of saying that uh, it had to be a real car not a toy car and of course some of the parents objected because they figured that the preschool was effectively collecting financial information about the families and uh no concerned about sort of uh, favouritism based on wealth and and how this is becoming entrenched. And um, the, the local authorities, I guess the council equivalent, um, banned the project. but it's an interesting question. Why did they want to understand what uh, pupils cars, family cars were? And I guess it could only be to kind of work out some kind of status.
1: Well, you know now that the real financial gain in everything is information. Oh, data. So that you can, yes, yes and data, you can target a thing. So I guess they would be getting, those with a, an upmarket car would be getting perhaps requests to come and have dinner with the headmaster or something. and <laughs> uh,
2: Better treatment, perhaps.
1: You're talking here as a person who's judged a six-year-old school classes competition in building cars made out of uh, raw spaghetti. So I I, <laughs> I, I have some experience in this area, if somewhat uh, obtuse, but nonetheless. And and I've got to say that that the type of car, maybe not that you've owned, but you'd certainly driven or had a chance to have a go of. Was really very, very important With the Lamborghini rating very, very highly
2: Oh, this is, of course, uh, you know, the, the old request Please take me to school in that press car Ah, yes, of course that, Yes, yeah, it is the, the better the car, the more eager they are to be seen in it, I suppose
1: We owned, as our own car, an old ute one time And that was classic where Gail had to drop Matthew around the corner <laughs> Yet there was that certain earthy, not embogan, but sort of knockabout, I don't care about the world attitude in having a, a bomb car. And, of course, there's now a huge number of, well, there's a significant number of people that are advocating for financial smartness by saying owning a very expensive car or having a huge wedding or any of these things is really a way of holding yourself back. You know, my son, is married now, is uh, sort of reflecting on decisions made in the past, but very proud of the fact that he owns a Hyundai and uh, a colleague at work owns a Mercedes but doesn't own his own house.
2: <laughs> yes. Wasn't it Warwick Fairfax that uh, famously took over... The family business to run the Sydney Morning Herald, and he he drove around, I think, in a Camry, ah. which uh, people were quite shocked by. Even though he was potentially worth millions, he he was, a, a, I guess, a um, a modest fellow, fellow who who didn't strive to set himself apart. Of course, he drove that company to the ground.
1: Was that a Camry before, before or after?
2: It was before. I suspect he couldn't even afford a Camry after he'd ruined the
1: company. Well, there was the Pope who went around in a Renault 4, an R4, because his mate gave it to him or something, even when he was Pope. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah.
2: His infallibility must have helped with the uh, reliability
1: of the bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you could pray more often to get the thing going. But no, But, but maybe then there might be a way of having a really significant car there's a motoring journalist who loves to buy cars that were iconic for all the wrong reasons <laughs> you know yeah. he he got a hold in a chimera
2: oh my goodness
1: and cars such as that i owned one david <laughs> well i bet you you never got to the headmaster's table <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, you, when they were the very first uh model then yes that, that was okay but uh when people put, I guess, came to a realisation of what they actually were like, then, yes, then it was, uh, look, Mr Smith, can you come in the tradesman's entrance? <laughs> Straight to detention.
1: What are some classic cars, then, that you could buy at a reasonable price, which makes people unaware or unconcerned about the price, but more concerned about your carrier? You know, go back to an old um, a TC, MGTC, or mm. Austin Healy Sprite. Well, TCs are expensive to some degree. Maybe an Austin Healy Sprite.
2: An old Jaguar, I always had a lot of respect when I was driving a, oh. an old Jaguar I, I think I'd bought for $14,000 So uh, that, that was pretty, good. old Land Rovers and stuff like that I think, you know, they're classic and, and you see a lot of wealthy folk, you know, with the scruffy old Land Rover But in perfect condition, you know, like perfect running condition
1: That's like arriving with a four-wheel drive with mud on the wheels You could, oh, crap. you you want to keep it there, you don't want to wash it off and Now, my wife's uh, brother sort of mentioned a very good television series, which has been and gone. But you can buy, yeah, you, know, you can get it through one of these Foxtel things. Mad Men about the advertising oh, yes, industry uh, in the sixties and f- late fifties, and then into the sixties, where one of the partners of the Company uh, went um, financial difficulties, fudged something, and then uh, couldn't stand it all. Went down into his garage, shut the door, got into his E-Type Jaguar in order to gas himself, and of course it wouldn't start. <laughs> <laughs>
2: saved by English electronics. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> we'll do a story in later weeks about uh, how car companies contributed to the Apollo program, but, I mean, that that would be one of them. You're, you're very thankful none of them are Lucas. <laughs> but maybe they could use this as an issue of tra- training kids to saying, well, you know, your parents obviously have a very good car. How much do they owe on it?
2: <laughs> yes, getting more information.
1: How often do they argue about money? Are they truly happy?
2: Are they real estate agents? Because like, quite often they'll go without a real estate agent so long as they have a flash car to at least give off a sense that they might be successful.
1: A mate of mine was speaking to a friend who lived in New Zealand and said, How's business going? This is a while ago. And he said, Oh, booming. He said, Oh, what did you do? He said, I bought a Mercedes. Mm. And I think people give me more respect. Although if if I go into a legal and they've got marble top things there, I think perhaps they're charging too much.
2: Oh, I always had a colleague who uh, who would engage lawyers based on how intimidating uh, their offices were. You know, like wealthy, rich looking, lots of books, dark timber. Um, so. <laughs> The look well, is everything.
1: Well, it could be, it could be, at all. Uh, but again, maybe you could get the children to have a sense of understanding by saying, "Okay, your parents have a Mercedes. Sorry, what year model was it, and was it <laughs> the upmarket version? Does it really have heated seats, or is it the cheap and nasty version that you might get out of that?"
2: You'll certainly, learn their sense of worth is driven by uh, you know their. The outward trappings of success, I suppose.
1: All right, Brian, we will catch up and talk some other stories. Thank you, David. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to the Overdrive team and supporters, including Brian Smith, Alan and Paul Just. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. And there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.